The Disciplined Investor is underwritten by Interactive Brokers. Interactive Brokers charges USD margin loan rates from 0.75% to 1.59%. Of course, rates are subject to change. Learn more at ibkr.com compare. And this episode is sponsored by Our Crowd. All around the world, tech companies are innovating and driving returns for investors. Join the fastest growing venture capital investment community at ourcrowd.com slash TDI. That's ourcrowd.com slash TDI. The Disciplined Investor is all about you, your money, and the markets. Sit back and get ready for this edition of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. This episode of The Disciplined Investor is sponsored by Horowitz & Company. If you're looking for a portfolio manager, look no further. Horowitz & Company, from seed through harvest, cultivating financial success. Rates spike after Powell's renomination. Tech shares slide, but there are still some big winners this week. And we're here with the fourth part of the Back to Basics series. We're talking about a few ways to invest and in these markets, what to do. We have lots of listener questions to answer as well. All this and much more on episode number 742 of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. It's Thanksgiving time. It's Turkey Day. And you know what that means? All the talk in the markets is going to start switching over to and centering about, well, is there going to be a Santa Claus rally in the future? Are we going to see that Santa has come to town? Going to move the markets up as it usually does towards the end of the year. And looking at seasonality and all the things, you're going to see that all over the TV. And just watch for it right now because that's the way they get everybody invigorated towards the end of the year. But you know, there's a lot of other things we need to really be considering right now, all about what's happening with interest rates and with fundamentals, supply chain issues, etc. Hey, this is Andrew Horowitz. Hello there. How are you? Happy Turkey Day. I hope that you had a great Thanksgiving with your family, seeing your family and friends after all this time with the lockdowns and the Zoom givings. Remember those that we had to do last year? Kind of bring everybody in and everybody was sitting around the table, all separate, different families, but yet all eating at the same time. It was really, I thought, really weird. But nonetheless, uh, we are here. We're back to a point. Hopefully, you are enjoying the craziness that you have with your family as well as all the fun, enjoyment, and uh, just the love. So uh, I did, and I had a great time. We did a spatchcock turkey this weekend. That was really good. And uh, you know, overall, you know, just a great day, great time of year. So... There's been some really interesting action in the markets over the past couple of days. And, and in particular, oh, I guess over the last week or so, there were some things that we saw that I found to be really very much telling of what is residing under the surface. What have I been talking about on Twitter? What I've been talking about to my clients is all about the idea that we have to really be on alert. We have to be on sinkhole alert right now. So here we are starting to see some of the impact of what's going on with the supply chain and the issues revolving around what we're seeing with regard to inflation, costs rising, the problems with getting materials, the, the fact that people went out and actually started to hoard, pull forward some of the things that we have wanted for the holidays or maybe even just the staples that we'd use for everyday life. And what happened here is in the circumstance that we're seeing now, stores saying things like, hey, you know what? We just don't have the goods. We just we just don't have things to sell. Yeah, yeah, we did have a really great quarter last, and we saw Best Buy come in with their numbers that were looking pretty sharp, and we saw that many other companies in the area of retail and front-facing of the consumer had a good number. But yet, when we see that they have the outlook as miserable as it is, you have to wonder where are we going with this? And I just want to start the show because I think it talks about some of the fundamental issues that we're dealing with right now. And when I say fundamental, I'm not talking about anything more than what's happening with the companies themselves, with their earnings, et cetera. Because yes, there was a retail crush 
last week. We saw Gap moving down 25%. Nordstrom's down, I think, 27% at one point. Um, and even Dillard, which is uh, up like 500% this year, giving back 7 8% throughout the end of last week. It was just really interesting. The idea that we are seeing a very important point to take notice of where companies are unable to actually meet the demand. Not only because the demand is high, but also more so that the demand is met with the fact that this don't, they just don't have the goods. Even if it was a small demand, they don't have the goods. So this idea of, of being on alert for, for a sinkhole alert, whereas you have a river or something kind of uh, caving in the the packing underneath an, a, a, a street, a boulevard, an avenue, uh, expressway, or maybe even a backyard where it starts deteriorating to a point that it is no longer able to hold up the land above it. In other words, what we're seeing is that the fundamentals that are underpinning valuations or stock prices are starting to become questionable. And if, in fact, the large cap names out there don't perform and are susceptible somehow to any of this, then you could have a situation where the entire market starts to come in very significantly. I mean, you know, I don't think anybody out there would be questioning whether or not that it's due, it's time, it's possible, even conceptually agreeable to the fact that maybe we should see some of the excess come out of the market. It's a little correction to bring things back. I hate the phrase, the pause that refreshes, but no. When, you know, markets are not designed to go up forever. There is somewhere in there excess exuberance and a uh, high level of excitement. And uh, on the downside, you see, uh, obviously, things that overshoot as well. And those become opportunities, for both for the long and the short side. But I want to just focus on, for example, some of the things that we're seeing. And, and probably one of the most extreme levels of we'll call it financial engineering that I've seen and that what is going on with the idea that it doesn't matter about the underlying, it doesn't matter about what's happening with things other than the fact that we want price to go higher. You know, we, we see, and we've talked about how many times the idea of companies are buying back shares in order to retire them so that the earnings per share can go up without necessitating a actual growth of earnings. So Dillard's symbol DDS, which the company seems to be all about share float buybacks and, and pretty much nothing else. Dillard's bought back, listen to this, more than 50% of the company's stock since 2000 and, um, since 2012. They used to have about 50 million shares outstanding now, just over 20 million. Market cap, though, over that time period, it doubled. The share price up over 10 times. So you see what's happening here? What's happening is nothing. <laughs> there is nothing happening. Just share buybacks made earnings look better and less shares outstanding. And what happened is the more that we have the potential for the company of buying of shares to impact the price. And they're doing nothing more than financial engineering. That's all that they're doing. So the question is, should we get on board with something like this? I mean, sure, if it, if it seems a, a sustainable situation, why not? Problem is with, with Dillard's earnings have been flat for years and if they're flat, that means they're actually technically going down because there's less shares on the market, right? Then all of a sudden, earnings popped and the stock moved. Again, is this, is this sustainable? No, because it seems that management doesn't care. All they care about really is, is the idea of, of moving the share price. And they've been doing it successfully. I mean, again, up 550% or so in a year. And that's great because if you own the shares, you'd be really happy. But all this was done to pop price. It didn't do anything for the company itself, and that is not sustainable long-term. Now, maybe the company will be taken private. And look, it's kind of doing that already. 
But the game right now is all about pricing. And I think that it's it's great that we have a situation where we can move up price with all of this excess liquidity. However, again, how long can that last? And is that sustainable? What comes around goes around. What comes around comes around. Everything cycles. So I want you to just consider that as we are talking about some of the ways to invest and some of the pitfalls, some of the risk, some of the things. But I'm really going to cover this in a, in a very basic manner. We're not going to get too deep in this because I really want to gear this in a back-to-basics fashion. I want, I want this to gear to people who really haven't been investing. There's a lot of you out there. You know it. For whatever reason, it's too complicated. It's it's too difficult. It's uh, it's overwhelming to, to think about this. I don't want to lose money. What if I make money? What about the taxes? You know, I don't even know how to open a brokerage account. But let's start with that. Let's start with that. Let's get back to basics. Before we do that, before I forget, actually, I want to mention December 15th. We're going to have a webinar. We're hosting a webinar. Horowitz Company hosting a webinar. We're going to be looking back. We're looking ahead at the themes and the opportunities from 2021 and 2022. You need to sign up. Registration is required. You can go over to thedisciplinedinvestor.com and just click on the link. It's right on the right-hand side. Register, and you'll get a reminder right before of it, right before of it, uh, before it, and um, make sure you do that. Make sure to register, okay? So, uh, again, I want to I talk about some of the topics here today before we get to the listener questions. Uh, and um, I think I think we need to start with, again, some very basic concepts here. And, and the idea that there are many, many different ways to invest. Everybody has their own way of doing things, whether you want to study the fundamentals, you want to just look at charts, where you want to just look at themes or momentum trade, you want to look at, um, you know, different types of investments. And that's what we're really going to focus on today, the different types of investments that are out there, the stocks and bonds and, and mutual funds, and there's options and futures and crypto. It's up to you how you want to deal with that, how you want to mix it up. But I thought for those people who really don't have an understanding and you've been listening because you you want to learn more, but how do you actually invest? I mean, how do you actually put your money to work? So we're going to start out again with some a very cursory look at all of this, and and kind of really try to dig down to get you started. The first thing you need to do basics one hundred and one right off the bat before anything happens, before you either breathe or think about any kind of investment is you need to have a place to do it. What does that mean? You need to have a brokerage account. You need to have somewhere where you can actually go and say, yeah, I want to buy this or that. Now, every brokerage account, every company has a different features and some are all in one. Some really focus and are better at certain types of trading than others. For example, you wouldn't go to a Coinbase account to trade stocks, right? You wouldn't go to... Um, Maybe a place that specializes in stocks only if you want to trade futures. So you got to find that. Now, some of the places that you can go, there's a lot of them out there. We talk about them. We have some great sponsors on the show, like Interactive Brokers. Do have all-in-one. Some places that you go, well, maybe you want to deal with just only a certain type of investment. And for whatever reason, you go there. But the fact of the matter is that you need to have a brokerage account. Now, again, um, Interactive Brokers is a sponsor, and I use them for our clients as well as part of a, a, a trio of companies that we use depending on the circumstance. But, you know, all kidding aside, excellent place to consider. But use which particular brokerage that you feel most comfortable with that can offer you the best communication service. Uh, and customer service is important when it comes to this. So definitely check out where that is. Now, once we get beyond that, once we move beyond the idea of Hey, we got the brokerage account open. I deposited my money. What next? Well, you could just go and start uh, saying, ah, I'm going to start buying the stocks that I see this guy talking about on TV. Or Horowitz is mentioning this whole idea of metaverse. Hey, let's go do that. But before you do that, take a breath. <laughs> just let's take a step back. Let's talk about this for a second and, and realize that depending on your risk, your time horizon, depending on on your tolerance for sleep at night, if you will. It will all depend on where you want to invest. 
A lot of people want to start with the idea that, well, I just want to make as much money as possible. Well, that's great. You can start with stocks, for example. Find a company that you like. Now, stocks have their own inherent risk. You're investing in one company. You have asymmetric risk. You have systematic risk. You have issues related to company risk and, and, and debt. You have to understand what is going on with management. Stocks are a great place to invest starting out. I don't know if you go right for that, but let's talk about stocks. Find companies that you believe are best fitted for whatever your time frame is. We're not talking about trading here. We're talking about investing. Let's get that straight also. We're not talking about scalping. We're not talking about swing trading. We're not talking about swinging and, 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 and working, um, you know, a 30-cent uh, profit margin. No, we're looking at finding those companies that you can believe in, invest in, have good quality management, good quality of earnings, great revenue overall. Margins are expanding. We have things inside of that company fundamentally that we can then put on the table and say, this is a company I want to earn, uh, own whether it's in its early stage or in its late stage. But remember, when you invest in a stock and you go in and you say, hey, I want to buy 25 shares of this stock today, and I'm going to hold it for a period of time, you have to realize that there are some things that you need to consider. How much risk are you willing to take with that investment? Are you going to ride out every single storm and hold this until someday, one day, you need it for retirement to maybe cash it in and utilize that. Well, if that is the case, you need some really decent history behind you. Probably not going to think about investing in a company that just came to market. Maybe something that has a little bit more of management tenure involved that you could really track and understand. And, you know, companies like, I'm just throwing things out there, like a Pepsi or a Coca-Cola, or you look at, an, um, you know, a Home Depot, for example. You're looking at an Apple. I mean, these are tried and true companies. Now, there's other companies that are a lot smaller, give you a lot more bang for the buck, but you have to decide. Which is it that you want to go into? Now, here lies the problem. How do you decide? There's so many great companies out there. And the question is, how do you actually go in and decide that, yeah, that's the one that I'm going to bank all my long-term profits on and my retirement, my future, and my security on that stock? Because what if you decide on Lowe's, but Home Depot does a lot better over time? What if you decide that, you know what, I really like American Airlines, and something happens there, and they go bankrupt. But, you know, Delta did just fine. So playing stocks provides you with a great opportunity for the future. No question about that. But it also provides you a, a unique level of risk, of miscalculating what the best is in that sector, in that, in that, in that area of the market. What happens if something weird happens with management or well, the stock just stalls? What happens if the entire sector doesn't do well? What happens if it's susceptible to, for example, like we saw the pandemic that the travel related and retail companies did really poorly? Wouldn't it be terrible if you were relying on that income of the names that were really hardest hit for your retirement for the last couple of years, even though many of them recovered, you know, that would be a problem. So stocks have a unique level of risk, but yet the reward can be dramatic. You can buy individual shares or fractional shares like a 0 0.5, 0 0.2, 0 0.137, or 2.259 with many of the brokerage houses out there utilizing fractional shares. So stocks are a bedrock of your investment, but there are also other ways to actually invest in stocks that may require less overall uh, time for research and for maintenance and for oversight and for understanding, especially if you're new at this, why would you try to go out and pick one stock over another until such time that you've had a good basic education in the investing process? We're, we're talking about the basics here. We're not talking about those people that are seasoned. We're talking about just the very basics. Now, many of you are saying, you know what, I know all this horror. What's, yeah, move on. I get it. But for those people who want to start 
Start small, be patient, and do your homework. So that takes us into, into bonds because I'm trying to match up the different types of investing. And when we talk about things like the, the individual stocks, we have to look at individual bonds. And that's a way that people back in the day did, in fact, get their exposure to fixed income. It's not as popular anymore because there are a lot of other alternatives because once again, trying to find that one bond that makes sense, that that provides the right interest, that has features inside the bond that are not detrimental to you long term, that maybe can't be callable. But you can go and you can buy these. You can actually go and buy individual bonds from your broker and say, hey, I want to do a search, something like, hey, um, you know, I'd like to have corporate bonds that are A-plus rated or better, that have a maturity of five years to 10 years, and all this. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, this is probably why you shouldn't be involved in the bonds, because maybe you want to also look for things in your filtering process that you want to only have companies in a certain sector that yield only a certain amount, but you have to look at the yield to maturity versus yield to call. Is it callable? And is there any kind of sinking fund underneath it to provide for a significant amount of stability in the fund or in the bond. So those kinds of things, if you really don't have an understanding of what those mean, probably are things that you should stay away from. Probably the, the idea of buying an individual bond that could have, once again, individual risk associated with the management, the company, the ability for the company to pay, the debt, the financial structure background, backing and uh, all the things that are related to individual bonds that are much more, I would say, volatile and potentially problematic. Not that necessarily a high-graded, a triple, uh, a double A or, 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 or A-plus rated bond should really have that. But yet, you know, you have to hold to maturity. If you don't, that's fine. You can get out possibly with a profit if you are lucky enough when you have the bonds, the rates go down during that period of time, or maybe the bond gets an upgrade, a credit upgrade. But again, these are kinds of things that you have to ask yourself, do you want to do? Or with the low cost of management through ETFs and mutual funds, should I just offload this whole entire process? Why should I have to spend so much time trying to figure all of this out when there are actually great and relatively inexpensive ways to do it that also give me, do I dare say, a greater level of diversification. Yes, my friends, there is something to be said for not doing any of this and offloading this to a portfolio manager that can do it. And you can do this on your own. You don't need an investment advisor necessarily if you're just looking to do something very simple. I mean, we do is obviously look for the very best that we can find in the sectors, the very best of the uh, you know, the, the the mutual funds or the managers or the ETFs. They give us the greatest exposure. They give us the exact area that we want to be invested in. And you may not be able to do that on your own. So I understand that. But for those of you that can, you may want to think about the, advent, the, the, the advantages of utilizing mutual funds, maybe even unit investment trust to a degree, closed-end funds, ETFs for the bond component of your portfolio rather than trying to go out and figure out all of this on your own. It's kind of, it, it, it's, it's daunting. But there is a way to do it if you have the patience, the desire, and the discipline. For goodness sakes, we are the disciplined investors, aren't we? Isn't that what we come here to do is to learn and become more disciplined? So if that's something that you have a desire to do, to become more disciplined and understand and educated in the area of stocks and bonds and, and look at that and look at the fine print of the, um, you know, of all the components that are backed up in the, in, in the bond um, offering. Then that's something that you can do to understand, well, this is a good deal or it's not. Sometimes it takes a little bit more digging to understand it, but that is uh, just as easy as stocks to buy Usually you have to go out to bid, do a little bit more work, work with the broker that specializes in that a little bit more because it's not as easy as just buying a stock at market. Bonds have a little bit more of a auction process, you know, uh, the bidding process that goes on with it that is, is important. So that's kind of, um, you know, the, the beginnings and, 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 and the core of, of stocks and bonds. But again, I think we need to fast forward 
skip ahead, if you will, to the idea of, well, how do, how do most people do this? How do most people actually buy their, their, their investments? And we're not really going to talk about futures. We're not going to talk about options. We're not going to talk about crypto. But I'm going to give you an overview once again about mutual funds and ETS. Before we do that, I want to talk about interactive brokers. And I want to talk about the idea of this, this, this question that's been circling around, this, this idea of what in the world is payment for order flow? Essentially, it's the money a market maker pays to your broker to trade your order at the price he or she decides. Your broker will charge you no commission and leave you no choice. But at interactive brokers, you do have a choice. You can choose to pay no commissions, just like at other brokers, or you could pay a small commission. And interactive brokers will try to match you with an institutional order at a better price. You can learn more at ibkr.com slash P-F-O-F. And I also want to mention Our Crowd, another great supporter of the show. We know that Our Crowd is um, a company that analyzes other companies across the global private market, selecting those with the greatest growth potential, and then brings those to you. From personal personalized medicine to cybersecurity, to robotics, quantum computing, and more. In state-of-the-art labs, startup garages, and anywhere in between, our crowd is identifying innovators. So you can invest when growth potential is the greatest. When is that? Early. Our crowd's accredited investors have already invested over $1 billion in growing tech companies. And many of their members have benefited from the 46 IPOs or sale exits of their investments. Now, you can truly diversify your portfolio by investing early in innovative private market companies at Our Crowd. Join the fastest growing venture capital investment community at OurCrowd.com slash TDI. That's OurCrowd.com slash TDI. So getting back to where we were, Back to basics. Uh, we were talking about the idea of, well, you know, you can invest in stocks and and, and bonds and things like that. But why maybe uh, are we doing it individually? That makes some sense maybe long term. But where are the easier ways and the ways that we can get this in a package sense where we can have some oversight? So ETFs, mutual funds. There's a big debate out there and, and there's a lot of uh, talk about where we can actually go to find the better option. Is it an ETF, an exchange-traded fund that is usually, usually, not always, passive or index style where it just says, okay, I'm going to match the S&P 500 or the NASDAQ 100, the Russell 2000, Russell 1000, or maybe some IFA index, Europe, Australia, and the Far East. Um, maybe, maybe, it's, uh, maybe it's simply um, an oil index of some sort. Well, there are those available, and it depends on really what you're looking to do. And there are a place, there is a place for an ETF in a portfolio. And I really don't want to get into that entirely, but just know this that an ETF is a place that you can have a packaged grouping of stocks or bonds for that matter, or maybe other things in it. But we're going to stick with stocks and bonds for a moment. And the SP 500. ETF, SPY is the symbol, has you know upwards of 500 stocks in it that are proportional to the same breakdown of what is actually in the S&P 500. So when you invest in $50, $25, $1,000, or a $1 million, you are getting the exact proportional representation of those stocks with the money that you buy. So the money that you buy or the money that you put in is giving you that proportional uh, of the index, of the, of the, of the actual ETF. So you may own 0.000000001 one share of Apple if you invest $500. Point is, though, it gives you diversification. It, it gives you oftentimes a replica of what the index does. Now, there are other active ETFs that are starting to really come up lately that are more targeted at individuals that are looking, like, for example, the ARC funds, those ETFs, Kathy Wood. And those are investing in a variety of different things, but yet she managed them 
those through an ETF wrapper and does it with the individual stocks that they pick versus an index. So there are multiple ways to skin the same cat. Mutual funds, on the other hand, are also a pooled investment. Mutual funds will give you a lot of diversification. They'll give you active management many times, but yet there are those mutual funds like Vanguard that are also indexed. So it's kind of, you know, you got to look at what you're doing and, and think through this and understand where do you want to go. Mutual funds have their place, in my opinion, when we're dealing with truly active areas of management that has a good track record and can provide for long-term history, but they also are not the greatest at tax management. Tax, tax um, capital gains and, and dividends have to pass through. Where ETFs are a little bit more tax efficient. ETFs are maybe not as nimble if they're indexing versus a active manager when it comes to a mutual fund. But all of these have to be researched, looked at, looked at very carefully in terms of what they own, how they operate, what's their expense ratio. Uh, do they have 12B1 fees in terms of the mutual fund? What are the costs involved in the ETF? ETFs are usually a, a less costly venture. But again, there's some advantages, not only in costs that we have found in mutual funds. So where you're going to invest is all about who you are. But it all has one common thread. All of this, this entire discussion has one common thread. You need to do the work. You need to do the research. You need to understand what you're investing in. It's not like just, okay, I'll take one of those, one of those, and two of those, and do me a favor, give me that one thing on the shelf on the bottom. That's not how it works. You need to understand more uh, closely what you're doing to make sure that you are getting the best for what you want for your future. I know that's kind of very general and I didn't give you a lot of like something that you could bite into, but it's something that you could grab onto to then go the next stage, the next level of understanding about this. Morningstar, great resource for mutual funds and ETFs, for example. And when you want research on stocks, there's a whole slew of places out there that will give you free or paid research. Talk about white charts, for example. Had the CEO on and, and talked about all the things that are available there. That's a thing that we looked at. You know, Interactive Brokers has a great portal. Schwab, TD Ameritrade, all these places have great areas for you to look at. But it's all about what you need to be concerning yourselves with and what you're looking for, it will take time. For those of you that are just starting out, don't get frustrated. It's going to take time. Because all these things are complicated. They're, they're difficult. If it was really easy, everybody would just be a genius, right? But you know, it takes some time. So I want you to think about that, understand there are many different ways to invest. There's stocks, there's bonds, mutual funds, ETFs. There are options, there are futures, there's crypto. There's, there's um, limited partnerships. There's hedge funds. There's fund of funds. There's all, and I'm just scratching the surface of what is really out there. Do your homework. Even, you know, think if it's too difficult, hire somebody to help you along with it. Make sure that they are situated with um, an unbiased Look at what you're doing. We don't want to pay commissions to somebody to sell you something. That's not how this works. We're going to advise with a charge of fee that is consistent with other clients. They don't get paid extra or less depending on what you buy. So there's no commission kickbacks, if you will. So with that, uh, I want to get to some listener questions and comments because there were some things that really touched me this week that I got in the email and I want to read those to you. And, and these two comments that I want to read are, they're long, very long. Uh, but I don't want to read all of them. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just give you the highlights of it. Because one of them in particular touched me. Um, it's from, from Tom. And uh, let me just kind of go through this really quick. And I'm going to skim over some of it. But get I, I really want you to, to listen to this. He says, hey, Andrew, a uh, note of thanks. I have been listening to your show for a third of my life 
Sometime around 2010 or 2011, I discovered your show after discovering No Agenda and DH Unplugged. I was 19 or 20, and I, I had no understanding of the markets or the topics you discussed on your show, but I knew... I would be, it would be invaluable for me to learn. Little did I know that listening to your show would help me alter the life and course of my life in many great ways. Sometime around, well, 2012, I started dating a girl whose father was a financial planner. And in order to get, garner favor, I would sometimes and occasionally bring up topics that would discuss, that you would discuss on, on TDI and even just memorize some of the things you would say and repeat them back to him without really understanding it at all. My hope was that he would offer me a part-time administrative position, or at least he would like me a little more and turn a blind eye to keeping his daughter out too late. This must have impressed him because in 2013, he called me out of the blue and said he wanted to have a breakfast meeting. That was very unusual, and I thought I must have been in big trouble for always bringing his daughter home about five to six hours after her 11 p.m. curfew. It turns out that he wanted to meet with me because he wanted to retire and noticed my interest in the markets and financial planning and wanted me to be his successor. Over the next eight years, I learned everything I could about the business and listened to TDI and DH Unplugged and was a very important part of my education. Reading your book was more uh, a helpful reading your book was more a helpful explanation of some of the concepts tested in the Series 7 exam and most of the actual exam prep materials I had studied, and I've continued to glean valuable insights and perspective on the markets even to this day. During last year's bear market, I listened to your show several times to gain the wisdom to give my own clients the reassurance they needed. At the end of 2020, the advisor I worked for retired and sold me the business. Now I'm 30 years old with a lot of money under management, a lot of money of total fees that he makes and recurring revenue, which will double in five years when I finish paying off the practice, at which time I'll probably buy another practice. It's a great responsibility, especially considering I don't have much of an education beyond community college, but the lessons I've learned from your show have helped me immensely. I appreciate you and all that you do for your listeners. Well, there you go. That's unbelievable. I thought that was so touching and moving. And Tom, I, I really appreciate writing in. I got another interesting one, similar, uh, well, not similar, but but uh, on the uh, in the in the idea. This one's uh, idea of thanking me, and I just thought, in the spirit of Thanksgiving, I'd read it. This one's from Austin. He says, "Hey Andrew, I've been an avid listener of your podcast for the past two years. My favorite financial podcast are The Disciplined Investor by you and Wall Street Unplugged by Frank Curzio. I appreciate the in-depth knowledge and the sage wisdom you guys provide the audience." I've always stoked as well. I'm always stoked as well when you have Frank featured uh, on your show and him on the other show. It's a good mix of banter and information regarding markets, the economy, and investing. I wanted to ask you a question mostly pertaining to student loans because you are a certified financial planner. For some background, I'm in my 20s and all that, and I'll go through this. Um, I've started a new job, and despite being able to pay off my loans, I have heard that you on a, several occasions amidst the 19-month pandemic that you advise the clients to have one foot in and one foot out approach when it comes to investing in the markets. I mean, somebody's listening. Uh, as, you, as you discussed, I have a good cap. I have good, it's good to have capital in the markets, but also maintain a safety net without having too much cash sitting around on the sidelines. I have most of my assets in cash, earning interest at a high yield savings account, which isn't great, but also some money in a Roth and a HSA and some exposure to other places. I will no longer have a, a three-month emergency fund, which you've echoed on the show is important in the pandemic, taught as necessary to have in the case of a global health. But uh, to circle back, my question is, do you think it's a good idea to pay off part of my loans in full or in full and remove that burden completely? Or is it better if I take one foot in, one foot out approach? So Austin, here's the, here's the point here. Depending on what the interest rate is on your loan is depending on if you want to pay it off. Now, there's a lot of guys out there like, oh, man, you don't want any debt. You don't want to have any overhead. Let's pay off everything. Don't go through life with any kind of uh, 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 of owing something, you know, the, the, to, to anybody, especially the man. No, no, no. If interest rates are low, if you have a loan that's uh, sub 4%, I have to consider keeping it. If, on the other hand, my friend, this loan is, I don't know, 6 7%, Probably consider paying it off, something you want to do. 
Uh, next question comes in or comment comes in from Tim. He says, Andrew, I hope you've settled in from your trip back from Egypt. I have. Question about short-term treasuries. I read that the Fed appears to be gearing up to buy more treasuries at the front end of the curve to fund government versus the longer term that is being tapered. Is this true? And if it is true, what's the relationship of short-term treasuries versus short-term munis or corporate bonds? Are they all correlated? Sorry, my bond exposure in my portfolio is minimal. And I don't want to, I do not know much in this area. So Tim, yeah, there is a high correlation right now because really the incremental and the absolute buyer of all of this on all levels of the curve has been the Fed, whether it's the corporate, whether it's munis, or whether it is um, uh, government. So there is a big correlation when it comes to all this right now. And really when we're dealing with um, some of this, whether there isn't any ancillary issues regarding credit, uh, which would hurt corporates more than it would the munis or the federal or, the, or you know federal government bonds. Uh, we don't have any issues with regard to um, sovereign debt issues, so that's not a problem on the federal side. Taxes not really changing, so that's not going to really be a big problem for the munis. So it is very similar. Uh, I, I am thinking that we want to stay towards the short end of the curve, particularly in this environment. It, it doesn't make any sense to really take on that excess maturity risk or duration risk when it comes to the bond market right now. I just don't see it at all. Um, is this from someone? Let me look at this. This is different. A different person named Austin. He says, hey, Andrew, thanks so much for the book you sent me. So lately I've been interested in buying real estate investment property, but it's been difficult to save enough money for a down payment. No kidding. They're pricing people out of the markets with these low rates right now with this incredible amount of uh, push towards just let's, let's, let's increase prices. Thanks, Zillow. Thank you, Zillow. Uh, he says, while I'm saving up, is there anywhere that I can put savings and earn interest on it? I don't want my holding and savings account to get 0.001% interest on it. Thanks. You know, unfortunately, I'm not going to blow smoke here. I'm not going to try to tell you that there's a place. You know, yeah, could you go to some of these crypto deals that are paying 6% on borrowed money that are lent out to crypto and all? Yes. But, you know, seems to me that uh, really that doesn't make a lot of sense. In fact, just realize that what you're doing is putting money aside safely for your investment in the future. It's a holding pattern, holding place. Uh, you know, this is an area that you really don't want to mess with and know that I, don't, I really don't think there is anywhere you can get much more than that. You could shop around for high year yield money markets. That's fine. But you know, if you're going to be looking to actively purchase something, you want to make sure your money is liquid. You want to make sure it's safe. You want to make sure that the base amount is always available at that level and not moving around. Um, so this next question comes from Steve. And he says, um, because you asked, <laughs> I have two questions, but number one is more important to me. Let's go to number two then. Uh, okay, let's, let's look at this. The, uh, number two is, what is the best strategy for an inflation-protected portfolio? You know, as funny as it may seem, and many people may think about this being like, well, no. You know, there are stocks in the area of um, value-oriented, like banks, things that can make more money as interest rates go higher versus being curtailed when interest rates go higher. Some stocks are naturally uh, insulated to a degree because they actually go along with the price of commodities that move higher in an inflationary environment that are, that are benefiting from a yield curve that changes and that gets steeper, financials and banks, utilities for that matter, which can bring up pricing. So wherever this... Pricing elasticity is an area that you want to look at. You also want to look at hard assets, alternative assets, possibly cryptos, gold, silver, et cetera, possibly the commodity streams out there, tips as an example, certain real estate investments as well. Your first question, what's the best strategy to convert a primarily stock-invested portfolio to a less risky income-producing portfolio in preparation for retirement? I think you got to look for more of a, we'll call it a growth in income. The old phrase, bring it back. Bring it on back out of the uh, out of the oldies but goodies. You don't want to necessarily convert like the old days where we went from, okay, here you are, 65, you've retired. 
What we're going to do now is we're going to just simply take your stocks and we're going to put it in bonds earning 8%. Because you know what? The difference between that day and today is you can't get 8% on your bonds. Therefore, we need to be a little bit more inventive, intuitive. Uh, we need artistic and scientific at the same time. We need to look for a little bit of a differential in how you can actually have both your cake and eat it too in a way. We want to make sure that you have a good level of growth potential to fight the inflationary forces that are out there. But we also want to have at the same time the, the, the security. So you want to look at things like maybe high yielding stocks and you want to look at maybe preferred stocks. You want to look at alternatives in the area of not just, uh, we'll call it different. I'm going to say something different. Hybrids. You want a hybrid investment. What gives you both income and growth potential. Uh, this comes from James, our next question. Thank you, James. says, hey, millennial here from Minnesota. I listen to the show every week, and I'm always blown away by the priceless info on what I should be doing monetarily. I started working in 2007 in entry-level work and realized that over the years, I wasn't going to be, it wasn't going to be enough. Went to tech school, worked my way into automotive repair industry and six-figure stars in my eyes. Now into my 30s and my wages have plateaued after a couple of job changes despite my skills and experience growing. I have a leftover Roth from a past job just sitting in an account doing nothing and I feel trapped in it. And I'm trapped in also a choice paralysis on should I roll it into my current jobs Roth or open up a fund and alternative investments. Currently a renter and feeling disparaged about the home buying market. Six figure mortgage freaks me out in the despite working in a solid trade and a decent salary. I guess I'm wondering what I can do with a few thousand bucks to try to keep up with inflation, but besides just hanging on to it in my low interest savings as well. So James, the problem is, it's time in these investments that are important. The first house I bought was like, no, man, that is expensive. You know what? I sold it for more money. My first boat, I'm like, oh, man, that's expensive. Made a profit. My next house, oh, can I really afford that? I don't know. It's going to be a stretch. And it was a stretch. Made a lot of money on that house. Current house, same thing. When it comes to your investments, it's important to believe the long-term prospects of whatever it is. And I'm a you know, guy that believes in a diversified stock, bond, real estate, alternative, commodity uh, portfolio. So you need to get going on that. Because just sitting there is not doing anything for you. Are you going to invest at the perfect time? No. Are you going to invest in the worst time? No. Impossible. I want you to think out a little further than what you're doing. Right now, you're thinking about today. You're thinking about tomorrow, next week. You're not thinking about the next decade. You're making a mistake that a lot of people do of, man, this short-term pain, if I don't invest correctly just today, is going to be so overwhelming. Forget about it. Think bigger. If you want to be bigger, think bigger. If you want your portfolio to be bigger, think bigger. Think longer. Look outward, young man. Look outward. Look beyond just today and tomorrow. Get somebody that can help you. Hand off that money to an investment advisor. Because they'll help you manage it. And at least you, at least you don't feel like you have the responsibility all by yourself. I think that's really important. Um, Do we have any more questions? I think I answered this question about I-bonds from Paul directly in an email. I think that sums it up right there. I think that sums it up. Great questions. Really thankful for all the great comments. I got a lot of other emails too I didn't read, but I got to tell you something. I am so thankful for you. No kidding. I am so thankful for my listeners. I am so thankful for the relationship that we have formed over the years. I am so thankful for having you there because you give a lot to me. Yeah, I know I read a lot of these and people think, hey, look at all the great stuff I gave you and all. It's my pleasure. It's, it's my life's work to educate. Not only educate, but also to, to inspire and to also provide you with the opportunities. Because a lot of you have become clients over the years. And you know what? We become closer that way. We even 
get you to where you need to be, and we've done so. Hopefully that is something that you are able to do for yourself, and if not, go find somebody to do it. You need to make sure that you are setting yourself up for that financial independence by becoming a disciplined investor. Here we are just past Thanksgiving. Here we are in a time when we start reflection, thinking about what can I do to better myself? You know, we have these resolutions that we do. We start thinking about them this time of year. What am I going to do next year? I'm going to lose some weight. Of course, that's number one. Let's move on. I'm going to drink less. Okay, that's number two. You know, all these things that we have, I'm going to talk to my parents more. I'm going to have better relationships with. What about your money? Give it the respect it deserves. This year, make that commitment. Make sure that you are going to give your money the respect, the opportunity, and the disciplined investing that it needs. Make that commitment. And let's talk again in five years and 10 years. And you're going to be, you know what? Hmm. How much better off I am in life than worrying about all the different things that happen daily. Let someone else worry about that. You worry about the big picture, your long term. Because sometimes it's very difficult to do it yourself. I got to tell you, have you ever tried to properly use a scissor and cut the back of your hair very neatly in a straight line? Very difficult. You don't have the right perspective. You can't see back there. It's the same thing oftentimes when it comes to your money. You can't see. You can't have that perspective. It's impossible. So let's make that commitment together. Let's get on the get on the wagon. Let's get on the Thanksgiving Day wagon. Let's make that commitment that we are going to have the greatest 2022 and stick to it by making sure that we are set for our future. With that, I bid you adieu. Best to your family. Happy Thanksgiving weekend. I'll be here next week. DH Unplugged Tuesday night with John C. Dvorak on Tuesday, 9 o'clock live. And, of course, on your favorite podcast app, if you have any questions, if you have any comments, go over to thedisciplineinvestor.com. All this information is on the show notes, but also there's a button on there that says, Ask Andrew. Send me in your question. I'll be happy to answer it. Thanks so much for joining me this week and every week. I'll see you again soon. Nothing discussed in this podcast should be considered a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Past performance is no indication of future results. In addition... The information presented is not intended to be used as a sole basis of any investment decisions, nor should be construed as advice designed to meet the individual needs of any particular investor. Nothing herein constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice, or individually tailored investment advice. Remember, investing involves substantial risk. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results and a loss of original capital may occur. No one receiving or accessing this information should make any investment decision without first consulting his or her own personal financial advisor and conducting his or her own research and due diligence, including carefully reviewing any applicable prospectuses, press releases, reports, and other public filings of the issuer of any securities being considered. Please consider this for educational purposes only. As always, use your best judgment when investing. Horowitz & Company, Inc. is registered as an investment advisor with the state of Florida, and conducts business in other states where it is properly registered or is excluded from registration requirements. Registration does not imply any level of skill or training. Advertisements are not related to the host or affiliates and are not considered recommendations by the host of the show or any affiliates of Horowitz & Company. 